chapter 26. This is God's holy word. Please give your attention as we read it together. And it shall be when thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possessest it, and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth which thou shalt bring of thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt put it in a basket, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. And thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God, that I am come unto the country which the Lord sware unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand, and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish was my father, and he went down into Egypt, and sojourned there with a few, and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us, and afflicted us, and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice, and looked on our affliction, and our labor, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and with an outstretched arm, and with great terribleness, and with signs, and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place, and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the firstfruits of the land, which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you, when thou hast made an end of tithing, all the tithes of thine increase, the third year which is the year of tithing, and hast given it unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled. Then thou shalt say before the Lord thy God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of mine house, and also have given them unto the Levite, and unto the stranger, to the fatherless, and to the widow, according to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me. I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I have not eaten thereof in my mourning, neither have I taken away aught thereof for any unclean use, nor given aught thereof for the dead. But I have hearkened to the voice of the Lord my God, and have done according to all that thou hast commanded me. Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven, and bless thy people Israel, and the land which thou hast given us, as thou swearest unto our fathers a land that floweth with milk and honey." This day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments. Thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people as he hath promised thee and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments. 
and to make thee high above all nations, which he hath made in praise and in name and in honor, and that thou mayest be a holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Well, this chapter marks the last of a series of chapters where Moses has repeated and expounded various aspects of the law to Israel in preparation of them entering the land. Uh, It contains three basic parts. The first, verse 1 through 11, provides directions concerning the offering of the first fruits in the land of promise. The second, from verse 12 to 15, instructs the people concerning the third year's tithe. And the last, verse 16 to 19, is a closing exhortation and conclusion to take up the commandments of their covenant redeeming God as his holy people. Well, in the first section, concerning the offering of first fruits in the land of promise, we are informed, they were in verse 2, to take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, that is, whatsoever was first ripe, as Numbers 18 will tell us, they were to separate them into a basket. Uh, One Jewish commentator has described the process as follows. A man goes into his fields and sees a mature fig, and binds a rush about it for a sign, and says, lo, this is first fruits. And so if he sees a bunch of grapes or a pomegranate or more mature than the rest, he does the same. Once complete, verse 2 informs us that they were to take it to the place which God would appoint, where he will place his name. For a time, this would be in Shiloh because the tabernacle was kept there until eventually through a series of changes, Jerusalem became the place of centralized worship where God, quote, places his name there after the order established by the prophetic king David and his son Solomon. Then in verse 3, the worshiper brings the basket to the priest in that specified location, bearing profession with his lips, that the first fruits which he had brought was testimony to his having arrived into the land which God had foretold and promised. This offering carried with it the recognition that the land was obtained by God's power and promise. And further, that the land which the Lord had sworn unto their fathers and them by their fathers was owned by none other than God himself, who can remove and establish whomsoever he sees fit to. A land that floweth, it's a good land, a land that floweth with milk and honey. It is in this vein that they are to offer the following model prayer after the priest has taken their basket and placed it on the altar, saying, A Syrian, ready to perish, was my father, That is, my father, whom thou didst make these promises to, was of little strength and simply, and simply a Syrian of no great origin or nobility. We understand the reference here is being made to Jacob, after whom Israel was built up and derived their name. He went down into Egypt and sojourned there with his children and children's children. Jacob is referred to as a Syrian, we gather, for two reasons. Number one, his grandfather, Abram. Right, had his dwelling in Haran of Syria for a time. But more especially, Jacob dwelt for some years in Syria under Laban, his uncle in service for a wife, in which he ended up with two, right, uh, whose children would make up the tribes of Israel. Continuing the form of prayer, he says, My father, Jacob, Israel, was of little strength, of no noble country, going down to Egypt as only a few. But there... Right? by God's blessing, became a nation great, mighty, and populous. But even then, in verse 6, the Egyptians evil entreated us. They laid upon us hard bondage, verse 7. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and oppression. 
the worshiper here is cognizant that though they had become great, mighty, and populous, they had by contrast become the slaves of Egypt's cruelty and severity, that their own arm of strength, their own numbers and might, not even in having a blood father to whom God made promises, these were no true, true sources of deliverance, no means of obtaining an effective pity, nor a fountain of enduring help. No, they must lay hold of the promises themselves, to cry out to God themselves, to the God of their father, that he might hear according to the promises made, that they may find pity and compassion with him, that he may, according to his word, raise up deliverance and save them, for they would be ruined if he does not, as though they were to pray, what are our numbers? What is our might? If thou, God of my Father, dost not look upon us and pity us according to the promise and save us. Well, verse 8, what does the Lord do? He hears their cries. He answered them and provided them a deliverer. And the Lord brought them forth, it says, with a mighty hand, not with a slight hand, but a mighty and an outstretched arm, with great terribleness, with signs and with wonders. The Lord was not straitened or meager in the showing of his power and saving them. Rather, he displayed his great arm of strength to invite a reverent admiration of him in his salvific works. That is, as the Apostle Paul will say in Romans chapter 9, he was willing to show his wrath and to make his power known on those vessels fitted to destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Mercy sets the terms of their father's calling. Mercy provided for their deliverance from cruel bondage. And mercy, all in keeping with God's promise, verse 9, brought us into this place and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And now behold, verse 10, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. It is all thine, O God. What a wonderful form of prayer. In this offering, we find in command of prayer something quite striking concerning the Lord's wisdom with his people, which I will not be the first to note. Uh, this passage, we see, holds out a form and an ordinance for the people upon their entrance and settling in the land, which sought to instruct them concerning their own duty of thanksgiving. Their disregard would have evidenced their great ingratitude for all the Lord had done and was doing for them. You might for illustration, think of children. How after receiving some kindness or gift uh, from someone, often, uh, you often have to, and perhaps initially, have to train them in the courtesy, right, and the forms of how you show thanksgiving to the person who gave it to you. Or they might prize the thing and not really care for the person that thought of them and gave them something. Uh, similarly, you might think of the ten lepers in the Gospel of Luke who were healed by Jesus only for one, a Samaritan, to return with adoration. So here, the Lord, by this first fruit ordinance, instructs his children, right, by it year after year on the oughtness, that they ought to have a sincere and ready heart that runs the way of his commands with great thankful obedience, as verse 11 describes. And as we learn in other places, the first fruit offering was not a testimony that the first fruits belong to God while the rest belongs to us. Rather, but that all, all had its source of origin in God, teaching them to rejoice, as it says, in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee. Notice, though, not just what he hath given unto thee, but verse 11 includes 
and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. That is, that God has made each of us stewards over the things of the earth that he has given to each of us, even as he did for the people of Israel, not for our hoarding and keeping for ourselves, but as we might enjoy it lawfully, as well as those we have duty and opportunity to do good to. Hence, he says, thine house, thou, the Levite, and the stranger that is among you. This is unfolded a little further in what follows. So much for the first fruits offering. We have in verse 12, directions concerning the third year's tithe. Third year's tithe. In contrast to the offering of the first fruits, they were not obligated here in the third year concerning the tithe to travel to a centralized location, but were rather to give this tenth within their gates, that the recipients thereof, it says, may eat with them and be filled. We observe in the same verse that the recipients of this tithe were those ministers and poor among them in their surrounding habitation. Quote, the Levites, the strangers, the fatherless, and the widow. In this, we see the Lord's care for the truly weak, the vulnerable, and the poor of the land of Israel, that their more affluent neighboring brothers would not forget about them. Verse 13. They are, and we are, stewards of God, after all, not absolute owners. It is God's possessions we care for. The Lord has given a portion to each family to manage for his sake, and let us seek a well done from our master in the way we use them. Along these lines, the Apostle Paul will instruct Timothy concerning those who are more affluent in the church, saying, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. All things to enjoy. But charge them that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold in eternal life. What is then, in sum, the lesson and general equity for us today in the giving of the Jewish ordinance, not only of yearly first fruits, but the third year's tithe? Well, in the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? And if all you have, you have received, then the Lord can require an offering of that which is his at whatever percentage, whatever timing or quantity he sees fit, but he doesn't. He doesn't require all of it. In fact, he leaves us with the bulk of it. That, as we heard, we may lawfully enjoy it and give thanks to him in the use of it. And not only to use and spend it on ourselves, but we may be ready to distribute, to put our temporal goods to good ends, to be as broad-minded towards one another and his kingdom purposes as the Lord would have it. We are then provided in verse 13 to 15 another form of prayer which the worshiper after his third year's tithe was to make, stating that he performed his duty as the Lord had commanded, not holding back or using it for other purposes, but has sincerely sought the will of the Lord and the good of those receiving it, and thereby seeks the blessing of the Lord, not only upon himself, but verse 15, bless thy people Israel and the land which thou hast given us, as thou swearest unto our fathers. That is, grant to us thy promised fatherly favor as we seek to walk in your commandments. Among other things, note the public spirit. We talked about being broad-minded. Here we have a public spirit which this worshiper has and connects with his own obedience. In his own obedience and faithfulness, he not only seeks the Lord's blessing upon himself 
or even his own family, but upon all Israel, upon the whole church, that they too may walk faithfully, uprightly, and in the sustaining favor of the Lord, that they may enjoy an uninterrupted fellowship in favor of him. Let us then, congregation, learn from this. Likewise, to be public-spirited in our personal devotion and walk with the Lord in the context of that broader churchly connection, seeking thereby not only our good, but the building up in love one of another. Lastly, we come to the concluding exhortation beginning in verse 16, a conclusion not simply to the chapter, but as we have said, but many of the chapters, right, which has preceded this one. It is a wrapping up of all that has been said with encouragement and oppressing to take up the commandments of their covenant redeeming God as his holy people to, quote, do them with all thine heart, with all thy soul. Congregation, are you here to worship the Lord? Have you come to engage with all thy heart and with all thy soul this day? Remember, verse 17, that thou hast avouched, that is, thou hast positively affirmed And declared this day the Lord Jehovah to be thy God. And you have affirmed to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, and so on. And he has declared and positively affirmed, and what a comfort, thee to be his peculiar people, that thou should keep all his commandments. In verse 19, to make thee high above all nations in name and honor, that thou mayest be a holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken As Peter will write to the Christian church scattered abroad in the same principle, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And that concludes our time together in Deuteronomy 26.